Welcome to the first episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our first season explores the hauntings of Alton, Illinois, one of the most haunted small towns in America. Alton, Illinois is a town born, quite literally, from blood, mud, and river water. According to legend, author Mark Twain once referred to Alton as a dismal little river town. There's some debate as to whether or not Twain actually said these words, but if he did, it would be understandable. Alton has a dark history, one of floods, epidemics, death, murder, the Civil War, the Underground Railroad, and more. The events of yesterday, they say, create the hauntings of today, and in no place is this more true than in Alton. It may not be called a dismal little river town anymore, but people from all over the country now refer to this place as one of the most haunted small towns in America. Alton got its start in 1814 as a ferry crossing for the Mississippi River, but the area was first described in print in 1673 when French explorers Marquette and Joliet came down the river and made note of a fearsome creature that had been carved and painted on the river bluffs near where Alton would someday be located. The creature, known as the Piazaw, or the bird that devours men, according to Wick Indian translations, was a winged monster that allegedly preyed on the local Native American people. Slain by a clever Indian chief who offered himself as bait for the creature until his warriors could kill it, the beast died in the river, never to be seen again. To commemorate its ferocity, its likeness was carved into the bluff where Marquette and Joliet saw it many years later. The ferry crossing that became the town was started by Colonel Rufus Easton, who saw the potential of the area and started a place that he called for his son, Alton. His children's names can still be found throughout the city as streets, George, Albie, and Langdon, and one of his daughters helped found Lindenwood College in St. Charles, Missouri. Colonel Easton left the area after it was discovered he didn't actually own the land that he was selling as building lots in the growing community. He relocated to Missouri, but Alton endured and prospered. By the heyday of the riverboats, Alton was one of the largest ports on the Mississippi River. For many years, St. Louis was known as the little town downriver from Alton. Alton had factories, warehouses, thriving businesses, and by 1830 was home to the very first penitentiary in the state of Illinois. The terrible conditions of the prison led to its closure in the 1850s, but then it was put back into service again during the early days of the Civil War to hold Confederate prisoners. The prison would go on to become one of the most haunted places in the city, but that's a tale for a later episode. In the 1830s, Alton also became known as an important stop on the Underground Railroad, the secret system that was used to help escaped slaves find freedom in the North. Scores of Southern slaves that traveled through Missouri came across the river at Alton and found shelter with local abolitionists. Hidden during the daylight hours, they were moved under the cover of darkness toward freedom. Traces of the Underground Railroad still exist in the city today in places like the former Nathaniel Hansen Mansion on 3rd Street. In the lower basement of the building is a tunnel that was once used to shelter runaway slaves, and the stories say that the fear experienced by those slaves has left an impression behind at the place as a haunting. In a future episode, we'll delve deeper into the history of this house and the many ghostly tales it has to offer. (music) 
Alton's importance to the abolitionist movement of the early 19th century brought many people opposed to slavery to the town. One of the most important was a Presbyterian minister and newspaper publisher named Elijah P. Lovejoy. Lovejoy was born in Maine and came to the Western states as part of a New England movement to bring morality and culture to the newly settled parts of the country. In St. Louis, he established a classical high school and a newspaper, but never ventured into criticizing slavery until he experienced a religious conversion that made him feel like he had to. After five years in St. Louis, he entered the seminary and became a minister. In 1833, he started a newspaper called the St. Louis Observer. Within its pages, he opposed Catholics, Baptists, liquor, and slavery with equal intolerance, but he was most fanatical about bringing slavery to an end. He began writing, speaking, and preaching against slavery, and despite being in physical danger for his views, he refused to stop. Amid growing hostility, Missouri was a slave state after all, he became an unpopular champion of civil rights. Mobs attacked his newspaper office and damaged his printing press, but he refused to stop. In order to protect his wife and infant son, though, Lovejoy moved across the river to Alton, then the largest and most progressive city in Illinois. City leaders, businessmen, and abolitionists in Alton offered moral and financial support to Lovejoy, who called his new Illinois newspaper the Alton Observer. He made it clear that he planned to use the freedom of the press to continue his fight against slavery. And fight he did, angering local residents and even causing some of his supporters to withdraw because of his intolerance. Even so, many admired the raw courage of a man who several times faced down mobs with plans to tar and feather him, or worse. On August 21, 1837, a mob broke into Lovejoy's newspaper office and destroyed his printing press. Contributions helped pay for a third press, which arrived one month later and was immediately hauled out of the warehouse and dumped into the Mississippi River. With help from local abolitionists, money was raised for a new press. One of Lovejoy's backers was Winthrop S. Gilman, who, along with Benjamin Godfrey, was the owner of a massive warehouse on the Alton Riverfront. Lovejoy decided that his fourth printing press should be protected there by an armed force of supporters. It arrived by steamer at 3 o'clock in the morning on November 7, 1837. Late that night, a mob gathered and gunfire rang out. A man in the crowd fell mortally wounded. Someone carrying a flaming torch up a ladder and set fire to the roof. Lovejoy ran out of the warehouse to stop him and was shot five times, falling to the ground and dying almost immediately. His friends fled, and the mob put out the fire and destroyed the printing press. The murder of Elijah Lovejoy had a tremendous effect on the abolitionist movement across America, and it made headlines across the country, even in the southern states, where his politics were despised. Newspaper publishers were enraged that he was killed for printing what he believed in, and he became a martyr to the freedom of the press. During the wave of indignation that followed anti-slavery societies gained new members, and fuel was added to the fire to abolish slavery in America. Lovejoy, a failure as a reformer in life, had managed to ignite a movement in death that would lead to a civil war just two decades later. And his death left a lingering impression on the city of Alton. Along the banks of the Mississippi River downtown is the place where the old warehouse once stood that held the printing press for Lovejoy's abolitionist paper. It's hard to recognize the spot these days, as it's little more than a space between two large grain mills at the base of William Street. But as the years have passed, it was replaced by the mills and the wood and the brick of the warehouse vanished. But not every trace of it was gone. 
For years, legend claimed that the Godfrey Gilman and Company warehouse was never used again after the terrible events of November 1837. The place was shunned and avoided for the simple reason that it was believed to be haunted. Local dock workers and freight wagon drivers who had occasion to pass by the place at night spread tales of mysterious lights that were seen shining in the windows and of loud cries, shouts, and gunshots that would echo in the darkness. Others claimed they could feel the panic and terror near the warehouse as if what happened that night was still taking place, although unheard and unseen. They felt the madness of the crowd, the desperation of Lovejoy and his friends, and some even claimed to see a spectral figure near the side door. The figure would run toward the street, stagger, and fall to the ground. It was the ghost of Lovejoy, the story said, reliving his last moments again and again. The tales claimed his ghost still wandered the riverfront in despair. Eventually, the eerie story came to an end with the destruction of the warehouse and finally with the proper burial of Elijah Lovejoy's missing body. Fearing reprisal and the desecration of his corpse, Lovejoy's friends secretly removed his body from the warehouse where he was killed. He was hastily buried in a nearby cemetery, and a wooden marker with his initials on it were first used to mark the grave, but that was quickly removed. After that, only two distinctive trees remained as a rough guide to the grave's location. After the cemetery came into general use, the trees were cut down and the grave would have been lost if not for the superintendent, William Burden. He marked the site with two pieces of limestone and told no one what they were for or even that anyone was buried at the site. And then he died, leaving no clue as to Lovejoy's whereabouts. In 1865, an Alton man named Thomas Dimmick decided to try and track down the abolitionists' remains. He sought out a man named William Scotch Johnson, one of the men who buried Lovejoy on that night in 1837. Johnson told Dimmick about the limestone pieces and how to find them. The site was then properly marked with decorative stones and an iron fence, acknowledging the legacy of the first man in American history to die defending the rights of the free press and fighting for the freedom of others. Soon after, Lovejoy's ghost was finally put to rest, and he was never reported again. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. 
today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words And I was like, that just sounds creepy. To me. Like, it sounds <laughs> like so a guy creepy. that has like just kids under his phone. <laughs> so I can just go? Yep. Okay. Welcome to American Hauntings Podcast, where we discuss history, controversy, myths, legends, and all things paranormal. You are listening to season one covering the hauntings of my hometown in Alton, Illinois. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me, my co-host until he becomes a ghost, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. How's it going, Troy? Fine. Oh, did you want me to say more than that? <laughs> you know, it, you, you do you. Well, I, you know, after you know, after the four-hour monologue I just gave you on Elijah Lovejoy, <laughs> I thought you might want me to shut up for. A few minutes, no, no, so. you did a great job. <laughs> no, actually, really, I, I'm excited to do this. I think this will be a lot of fun. And uh, although we've already gone through the whole discussion of why just you and me having fun is not a podcast. I still right. think it'll be fun. So no, I'm, uh, I'm really excited for sure. I'm really excited. And, you know, I want to give our, our audience a little bit more of a background on who we are and why we're doing this um, and help expand a little bit on, on the history of Alton. So to sum it up, the reason I'm involved uh, with this project is because I, I really love Alton. It's, it's my hometown. It's the place I grew up for 18 years and while, you know, I love the town, I really just don't know too much about like the concrete history of the stories that I've heard and, and grown up with. And so I'm not really sure where to draw the line between like the historical fact and just all the whispered rumors I've heard sure. over the years. And, you know, I've always heard that Alton was one of the most haunted small towns in America. But beyond that, my knowledge has mostly been limited to kind of one-off tales and secondhand stories. Well, I don't, I don't think you're the only one. I mean, I think oh, that sure. a lot of people are that way. Um, you know, it's one of those things that that most haunted small town in America or one of the most haunted small town in America things came up Um you know, that wasn't anybody around here. I don't even know if you know the history behind that. No, no, no. Um, the, the weird thing was that was a fate magazine contest from like 1997, I think, six or seven. Um, fate magazine was that. I don't know if you're familiar with it. A lot of people no. aren't anymore, but um, they started back in the late 40s, early 50s. It was like a kind of a pulp magazine about the paranormal i mean there there really wasn't anything like that back then mm -hmm. it was the you know the heyday of ufos you know that, that really kicked in and a lot of magazines came out around that time and fate was a little better and it's the only one that really survived into the modern era um but it, it was like um i forget what their subheading was but it was you know true tales of you know ghosts and psychics and ufos and bigfoot i mean everything was in there um, by the 90s, they, they certainly weren't at the circulation levels they were in the 60s and 70s, but um, they were hosting this thing um, that was a contest where people could vote in and win and take a trip somewhere. Um, and in this case, it was to Alton. Um, my friend Sonny Irvin, who uh, used to own a, a trolley company, A1 Limos and Trolleys mm -hmm. in town, and uh, is still a good friend of mine, and he had 
had somehow gotten involved in this contest and offered Alton as a prize. You could and win so, a trip yeah, to Alton. Yeah, you could win a trip to Alton. And because uh, the next year, I actually um, was the contest and you could win a trip to Decatur, which these don't <laughs> sound like. Is that the first like, place? I'm sorry, prize, but yeah, Alton, place? yeah, I could. Decatur sounds like that should be like the losing prize. Right. But anyway. You're forced to go uh, there. Yeah, you're forced to go there <laughs> and spend time. But, um, but, Fate Magazine, just for whatever reason, just kind of pulled that out of their ass and said, hey, let's just call it one of the most haunted small towns in America. And, um, I, you know, we may be like violating their copyright every way, every time right. we say that. I, I have right. no idea. But um, but it's somehow it just became like this general usage thing. And we've just milked it for the last, you know, 20 years. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the Visitors Bureau uses it. Everybody uses oh, for it sure. now. But. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's how that got started. So I don't think a lot of people even realize that it wasn't anything that we, you know, had a hundred years ago or anything, you know, yeah. the, the Mark Twain thing, you know, and that may not be true either, but it is, it is said that he claimed Alton was this dismal little town because all the horrible things that had happened there by the 1870s, right. you know, this was a, you know, it had gone from being like the biggest town in the state to, you know, this tiny little town with it that had lost its prison it lo- you know right. that you know everything had happened by then and um you know somehow but the ghost thing just took hold and especially after you know all the big factories and stuff left mm-hmm. and the glass works and the box factory all that stuff's gone um everybody goes to tourism that's how you you bring people back right and, and um, antique stores apparently well and antique stores were really big and they've kind of and that's been one of those cycled things i mean it comes in waves starting in the 70s and then they're all gone and then they come back and then they leave again and you know i think now we're on an upswing again which with was fine with me i yeah. enjoy it but um anyway i i know i just jumped in and interrupted you no right but that's I, perfect. I uh that's, i'm I here thought, to learn so i thought hey it might perfect. be kind of cool to to explain where that came from in the first place. Yeah. Cause that's the yeah. thing. I was, you know, I, I've heard, I, I didn't know, you know what you just told me. And then I've always heard stuff about like the McPike mansion, for instance, right? right. It's supposed to be one of the most haunted locations in Alton. I was in class with two of the McPikes. I was good friends with them, hung out with them all yeah. the time. I can tell you more stories about people that found their way into the McPike mansion right. to go ghost hunting. than I can't actual historical facts about why it's supposedly haunted. And yeah. I know that I'm not the only one. Um, you know, I drive by these places all the time and I have no clue what the actual history is and what's just, you know, myth and, and rumor and stuff. So I think that there's nobody that I can name that's better than you to help shine some light on why these places have the notorious, you know, histories that they that they have. Well, I, that's for me, that's the fun part of it is, I mean, I love I mean, obviously, I love the ghost stories, but um, finding out why the places are haunted or, you know, the history behind it, mm-hmm. that that's the part for me that holds the most appeal. So um, when you propose that we do this podcast, yeah. um, I, I was excited because, I mean, it, being able to talk about stuff like this in this setting is different than doing it on a tour. Mm-hmm. Certainly different than writing about it because you have a, you know, you, you end up with that monologue, you know, and that's all. And, right. but by combining the two things into this podcast, I think that it will, uh, I think it'll, it'll really, I don't know if shed light cause I'm not a professor or anything, but shed I, I think it will. Yeah. I think it will, uh, 
at least give us a different give give different spin on some absolutely and i i wanted to really learn about all these places but i knew i couldn't just go into some place that's notoriously haunted and say hey tell me about the history because they're just going to feed me a (laughs) bunch of bullshit and and whatever you know they want to and so i i thought you were the perfect person to help me kind of learn a little bit about these places that i've grown up with and that i have no clue about um so just a little breakdown of kind of what we're going to do over this first season we're going to cover a lot of different topics uh, per episode. So, for instance, we're going to cover some sites like Mineral Springs Mall, Milton School, uh, First Unitarian Church, the Alton Penitentiary, the Great River Road, uh, McPike Mansion, and a bunch of other places that people in Alton probably see all the time when they're passing, but they don't really know too much about. Uh, so I'd like to just go ahead and kind of get started and dive in with some questions that I have for you, if that works for you. Oh, sure. No, that's fine. So can you tell me a little bit, like you've you've done ghost tours in a lot of awesome cities, some big cities, small cities. You've been all over the place. Can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with Alton and maybe what's different about Alton compared to other towns that you tour? Um, well, Alton, you know, Alton is, I, th- I think most of the towns that I've done a tour in, um, for the most part, I, I've lived there. Um, I lived here in Alton for about eight years and uh, liked it. I just, business took me away. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I kept the tour company going because I didn't want to lose contact with it because I, I really like Alton. Um, it's a great town. It's a great historical town. And I think that's one of the things that, well, obviously that's, that's what makes it so haunted. Um, it's one of those towns that has had so many things that have happened here that it's, you know, I, I honestly, I can compare it to Chicago in that history is what created the tour. Mm -hmm. It's what's created the books I've written about it. It's what's created, you know, the reason that we come and do these things because, um, Alton's got a whole different kind of history than any other town, mostly thanks to the river. I mean, when you've got the Mississippi River involved, it, it's so old and it's such a, I mean, obviously it's old, but I mean, in, in regards to the Native Americans using it and then the settlers using it mm-hmm. and then the steamboats using it. And it's seen so much history that you end up with a lot of that history sort of being left behind. You know what I mean? Is yeah. that, I mean, does that make sense? For sure. When you're talking about the Underground Railroad and you're talking about the Civil War, um, a town in Illinois, a little town this far away from, you know, what we think of as the Civil War. When you when most people think of the Civil War, they think of, you know, Gettysburg or, you know, uh, Richmond and Washington and, you know, all these places out, out east, all these big battlefields. But Alton and St. Louis both really were so much tied into the Civil War. And Alton being a small town and having these kinds of connections to the Civil War um, is is really pretty amazing. I mean, there aren't that many places that or, or towns where you've got a penitentiary that survived the way this one did yeah. long after the war and was in place before the war and already had this terrible reputation before the war even took place. And was sitting empty for five years before the war even started. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they move in prisoners who are already sick and already dying in many cases. And, I mean, you're just asking for problems, right. you know. Uh, and then, the, you know, the sketchy burials. and the, I mean, I know we'll get to all this stuff in later episodes. Yeah. But, you know, that's one of the things I think that has left such an impression on this town mm-hmm. uh, was its connections to the Civil War. And, and before that, when, you know, we talked about... Lovejoy already, but the abolitionist movement coming through Alton played a really big part in the city's history. And, you know, you end up with locations where these, you know, people were hiding out and and living in fear of their lives, probably Mm -hmm. died en route to wherever they were going to try to get to freedom. And I think that that left an impression behind, too. 
Um, and, and I think that most hauntings, I really think that that's what we're talking about is history that leaves an impression behind. And yeah. then you have these, you know, these things that, that repeat themselves like a recording over and over again, and you end up with ghost stories. And then as, as again, we'll talk about in, in other episodes, people put their own spin right. on those stories. And, you know, when something weird happens and they've got to come up with a reason why, you know, the stories get bigger and bigger as they go. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's fun. It's fun. It's a great story. And you hear some great stories that way with all the legends and lore. But on the other hand, if you, if you really want the history behind it, you, you kind of have to take a step back from all the ghost stories. Right. And yeah, and there's so many questions and stuff I want to dive into about certain topics, <laughs> I know. but I'll say we're trying to save them, I'll you save know, a for lot those of it. episodes. But yeah. some, some stuff I can still kind of uh, pick your brain about a little bit. And uh, you know, you mentioned a lot about the impressions left behind. It's like a recording kind of going back and forth and, and repeating over and over again. And I can definitely see how if something, if there's something that has a lot of emotion tied to it, you know, or some tragic event or something, you know, it can leave behind some sort of paranormal residue or something sure, like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, I'm always super skept- skeptical and very like logical person. And, you know, I, I love the scientific method and that sort of stuff. And, but one thing I, I kind of wanted to ask somebody about, and I think you're a great person to talk to is, you know, is there any room in ghost hunting for something like the scientific method or should we not get to that place to where we can, you know, kind of systematically prove these things, you know, and do you have any just thoughts? You know, about that? I mean, the science has been involved in ghosts and ghost hunting for the last 170 years or so. I mean, from the very beginning, I mean, from the time that the Fox sisters started talking about, you know, speaking to ghosts and rapping on tables mm-hmm. within a couple of weeks, scientists were involved. Uh, they wanted to look at it uh, usually with a skeptical eye, but mm-hmm. you know, people wanted to, and it wasn't always that way. A lot of t- a lot of scientists really, when they saw the popularity of ghosts and the paranormal in, in this country, they, they wanted to see if there was anything behind it. So, you know, tests were done and investigations were being done. I mean, back in the 1850s. I mean, so now is no different. And, you know, people are, are, are involved in scientific investigations. But I guess then we go back to my other thing, 170 years. Mm-hmm. And what's been proven using science? Right. Nothing, really. I mean, essentially nothing. Yeah. I mean, you know, we look at it and we, we can be believers or we can not be believers. And I often see history as, as more evidential than science is when it comes to ghosts. Mm-hmm. And scientists don't accept that. I mean, as, you know, as proof, obviously. Right. But right. when you're speaking about history and, and the example I always like to use is, is a story that is something I ran across like in the mid 90s where I had a family moved into a house and they started seeing this ghost in a bedroom in the house. And they they called me, you know, but it's, I was the ghost guy, you know, and they called me and said, you know, hey, their house is haunted. But he, so we started doing some research and I started looking back for former owners of the house. And so we started contacting these people and asking them, you know, did you ever have anything strange happen? You know, not even really leading, just did you have anything strange happen when yeah. you lived there? Yeah, we used to see this go to this guy in the bedroom, in the same spot that the current owners were. They never this mentioned would, it. No, and they'd never, we'd never talked about it. Nobody had ever told the story. It wasn't a known place, but we talked to different people who went back about 40 years who lived in this house. All of them told the exact same story. All of them said that they saw the ghost in the same part of the house. They described him as looking the same. In fact, several people that I was actually able to personally go and meet 
actually identified him from a picture. That, uh, and he was a, an owner of the house who had committed suicide in there. Wow. So, I mean, how much better can you get? I mean, how right. much more proof do you need? Right. I mean, other than to – a scientist would demand that you get this ghost to perform on command. But, right. you know, history doesn't require quite that stringent of a standard. So – when it comes to science, I mean, you know, all the gadgets and all the gizmos and all that kind of stuff, um, it's interesting. I think it's interesting. I just don't really think it's for me. Right. Uh, just because I think I've become so jaded with the whole thing. I mean, I, I was super into that 20 years ago. I mean, I was into all the latest gadgets and, and we still have some and we still buy some and we've still got some around and mm-hmm. it's fun to experiment with them, but I don't ever really think it's going to prove that a place is haunted because I've got a gadget that lights up you know, whatever color, right. You know, it just, it's just not something to me that really proves much. But if I walked down the hallway and saw a ghost to me, I'd go, well, I guess this place is haunted, you know, uh, where, you know, a gadget probably wouldn't tell me that. So is there room for it? Sure. Um, for me personally, is it, is it that important? Not really. Um, and I think that more and more people have started to feel the same way I do. Mm -hmm. It's not that we don't, have an interest in the stuff. It's just for us personally, I think it's just hard to really get your head around. Right. You know? So is that something that, that you bring up in like in the real estate transaction? Like it's two bed, two bath. Uh, <laughs> yeah. By the way, guy killed himself over there. Everybody's yeah. seen him for 40 years. Well, um, you know, great kitchen. A couple of people have been sued over that. I mean, of not disclosing things. Now in Illinois, I, I'm trying to remember in Illinois, I don't think you have to reveal that, mm-hmm. uh, that anyone, and usually they call it, um, they call it some kind of history, um, like traumatized history. <laughs> and, and that's, right. I think that the technical word for it. And in some States you have to reveal if someone say killed themselves in the house or, mm-hmm. you know, some lady died there and her body sat for two weeks and her cats ate her. You got to <laughs> tell that kind of stuff. Right. Or if the house <clears throat> is supposed to be haunted, um, you don't have to do that in Illinois, but I believe like in New York, for sure, that one I've seen because of the court cases in New York, you have to admit if there is any kind of history. like. Isn't that, that kind of what you know? like you're talking about? Isn't that kind of what you think maybe hauntings are is like traumatized yeah, history? Really? I much? do. I mean, but I, but you know, in a lot of cases though, I mean, there, you might have a house where, where something horrible happened where somebody murdered someone else, but m- maybe nothing ever comes of it. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to know. I'm sure that there is, and then we're going to go roll back to science. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there is a scientific reason why some hauntings take place in places where events have happened, but not in others, mm-hmm. you know, where, where not, a terrible thing happens, nothing happens. Um, I think it may have something to do with the location. It may have something to do with the, the atmosphere, the phase of the moon, the, 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 the water table underneath. I mean, there could be a million reasons why one particular place happens to become haunted and another one doesn't. Um, but I think it, it's probably an atmospheric thing. I mean, Water has been one of those things I've been fascinated with for years. Mm-hmm. And um, you find a lot of haunted places that sit on top of underground water or wells we'll or, you know, underground springs, rivers right? and like, yeah, like the mineral springs, that kind of thing. I mean, water is a conduit of energy, as we know. Um, so that may have a big part of it. It may play a big role in all of that. And, you know, there's also that you get back into that theory of this, the stone tape theory, um, which is events leave an impression on actual types of porous stone, like limestone, which is all underneath Alton, mm-hmm. um, and water, which is all underneath 
Alton. Um, but, you know, there's water in everything. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, from a piece of wood to a couch to a wall, there's, there is water in the makeup of that. And um, there is a type of medication that, like the homeopathic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, people will sometimes will put a medicine in, a, in, in the water, swirl it around, and there's really no, nothing left of it. But like, this is really hard to explain, but like the medicine haunts the water in a way. It leaves a little trace behind, even though it's not actually in that water, it was in that water. And that's enough to cure some people. Now, I don't know how that works, but it, it's weird. It's it so weird, weird, man. It but weird. it's the same kind of thing. Here you've got a, a, an object with water in it or a building or a wall or bricks, and it's got water in it. An event happens, and it left just enough of it behind to manifest. Mm. So there's I mean, no no desert ghosts, pretty much. Yeah, so. well, yeah, I think that would be a whole different kind of ghost. Maybe <laughs> right. I don't know, um, but yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, that's just you know theories that are floating around out there. So, yeah. Well, no, like I said uh, I think you're the best person I know to ask about <laughs> this stuff. You know, and that's really interesting. Okay, but that I believe is the signal. Uh, we just got flashcards that it is time to wrap this. <laughs> Time's thing up. running so, out. So um, I think that is going to be it for this time. Um, the, that we we can we can call it Mark on our very first podcast, and uh, we're going to be back with another one uh, week after next. Yep. And we will uh, well thank everybody for listening in. Uh, if more than ten people download this podcast, we'll be happy. And uh, if you're one of the 10, please send us an email, let us know. And uh, otherwise, hopefully you can tell all of your friends about it. Help us spread the word, recommend it, rate it, give us hopefully five stars stars, uh, on iTunes. uh, And that will help spread the word to everybody you know about this new podcast. So thank you very much for me. And if we break double digit downloads, I will lose my (laughs) mind. So yeah, thank you very much for listening. We aim to combine historic record, scientific method, observation, and imagination in order to teach you a little bit more about the paranormal activities of Alton, Illinois. American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Monday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and receive a brand new paranormal history lesson. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com where we also have some links to Troy's books, as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours and other events. As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. Please say hello or tell me how much you hate the show. I promise I won't hold back because I have nothing to lose. Find Troy on Twitter at TroyTaylor13 and on Facebook by searching for the Troy Taylor author page or by going to Facebook.com slash AuthorTT. You can also check him out at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode was produced and recorded at Lighthouse Sound Studios. Find them at lighthousesounds.com.